The sermon text this morning is Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Church, in our text today, uh, my main point, my main ambition and goal in the minutes we have today, this morning, is to have us as a church more confidently engage in disciple making. I want us to more confidently engage in disciple making. And we're going to get there by looking at four truths about Jesus from this text. Four truths about Jesus from this text. If you don't mind, let me pray again. Heavenly Father, um, let your word do the work in our midst. May Jesus Christ be glorified in our hearts and in this church. Oh, spirit work, convict us in ways that we don't know we need conviction. Reveal and expose sin in our lives. Oh Lord, encourage us in ways that we're being faithful to you. And Father, just help us to engage more faithfully in what you've revealed better as a result of this sermon. All for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Church, we want to confidently engage in disciple making. I, I use that word confidently because um, I have uh, been here for almost a year now and I've got a, a good assumption and I would say even knowledge that most of us want to be Great Commission Christians. Um, most of us here in this room are already Christians. And so what I think we need more help in is to more confidently, uh, with more hope, more boldness, engage in disciple making as we look at this text, which is familiar to a number of us. So we're going to go ahead. I'll go ahead and give you the, uh, the four points ahead of time for those who are a little more type A. Um, first is the truth of Jesus, the truth of Jesus. Secondly, the power of Jesus. Thirdly, the instructions of Jesus. And fourthly, the love of Jesus, the truth of Jesus, the power of Jesus, the instructions of Jesus and the love of Jesus. Knowing those four truths about Jesus will help us more confidently engage in disciple making. Look again, look down at verses 16 and 17 of Matthew chapter 28. <clears throat> now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some Doubted. Now, this is a part of the Great Commission, this passage that most people probably skip over and they get to the part where Jesus says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. But uh, there's a lot of truth packed into these two verses. 
Uh, in the end of Matthew's gospel, after Jesus' resurrection, just a few verses before, Mary Magdalene and another Mary, they went to the tomb. They saw that the tomb of Jesus was empty. And then an angel confronted them and told them this, go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. Then on their way to tell the 11 disciples of this amazing news that Jesus, who was just crucified three days later, who they all saw being killed and saw uh, his death, he's now alive and his body's not in the tomb. So on their way to go tell the disciples, Jesus himself met them and greeted these two women. And then they fell down and they worshiped him. And Jesus himself, he reiterated what the angel had already said. Jesus tells them, go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee and there they will see me. And then you have verse 16. We see that the 11 disciples did just that. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Uh, The location of Galilee is mentioned three times in the last 13 verses of Matthew. Galilee is a region just north of Jerusalem. It's still considered Israel, but you're getting kind of on the outskirts of Israel. You're you're getting away from uh, those who are a, a predominantly Jewish population, and you're getting more of a mixed population with different ethnicities. Matthew's gospel first mentions this. You can turn there if you want to. You can just listen. Uh, In Matthew chapter 2, verse 22, where Joseph and Mary, they go to Galilee because of two separate dreams and a fear of being killed by Archelaus, the son of Herod. Herod, the emperor, was already known for killing every male child in Bethlehem, age two and under. And Joseph and Mary are trying to escape his deathly grip, and they're on their way to, uh, back to kind of the heart of Jerusalem, but then they were uh, the heart of Israel, and then they were given this warning in a dream not to go back there because Herod's son now is reigning, and apparently he is also someone to be feared, Emperor Archelaus, um, or the, 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 he, who had jurisdiction, not emperor, had jurisdiction over that area. Um, Because of all this, all these circumstances, Jesus was born in a city called Nazareth. Now, Nazareth is in the region of Galilee, and it was lowly and despised, and so were its citizens. I'm not going to mention a a metropolitan area of, of Raleigh that's lowly and despised, so we don't offend anyone here, but I'll defend people from Kansas City. There's a place called Independence, Missouri which um, is kind of the lowly and despised place of Kansas City. Uh, a lot of, of, of meth goes on there. Um, it's, it's a more impoverished area, kind of a, a very much a blue-collar area. Uh, it's actually where the, where the Chiefs and the Royal Stadiums are located. Um, but, you know, when, if you move to Kansas City, you understand, like, oh, you're from Independence. And there's usually a, a bit of, like, oh, from Independence. So a little, little snobbery going on there. That's what Nazareth is. And that's why you see the, the Pharisees and even um, the, the Jewish citizens being like, oh, the one from Nazareth, the prophet from Nazareth? Uh, what good can come out of Nazareth? Well, Matthew records that the prophet spoke about the king of Israel would be a Nazarene. 
So this is a prophecy that is being fulfilled. Uh, in shorthand, being from Nazarene, from Nazareth, means that you are lowly and despised. This is not a direct quote, but this is a theme in the Old Testament. And it's Matthew's shorthand way of saying that the Messiah is from Nazareth, therefore the Messiah is lowly and despised, just like the prophets prophesied. This is a repeated theme in the Old Testament. In Isaiah 53, the Messiah, the king of Israel, the, the Davidic king, would be despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. He was crushed for our sins, oppressed and afflicted like a lamb that is led to the slaughter. Uh, kids, do you know that this prophecy about Jesus being on the cross was given hundreds of years before that Jesus would be like a sheep, a defenseless, meek sheep and be slaughtered. Also, this prophecy is given given in Psalm 22, where the king of David, the mighty king of David would be mocked, reviled and treated with contempt. Psalm 22 actually says that dogs will surround him. That a company of evildoers will encircle him and they will even pierce his hands and his feet. This is the mighty king of Israel through the line of the mighty king David. Zechariah 11 says that God himself will be a shepherd to his people and he himself will be slaughtered. And then in Matthew 21, we see that this triumphal entry into Jerusalem Uh, of Jesus on a donkey, the people knew that he was the prophet named Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee, as it said in Matthew 21. Galilee signifies that this is the reign of the king of Israel. And Jesus being from Nazareth signifies that he will be lowly and he will be despised. And he will also bring light upon those in deep spiritual darkness. Friends, if you are in Christ, all this in your heart is you're saying, amen. I see this. I understand Isaiah 52 and 53. I understand Psalm 22. I understand Zechariah chapter 11 and other prophecies that talk about the king of Israel. Yes, one day he will rule with might that we will all clearly see. But now we don't all see that clearly. We believe it by faith. But before that, before that clear visual rule of Jesus ruling with the scepter in his right hand that we can see, he comes as a lamb to be slaughtered. And friends, this is the truth about Jesus, which will give you confidence as you seek to make disciples. This was prophecy given, prophecy fulfilled. A promise given by God and a promise fulfilled 2,000 years ago as Jesus was despised. He was mocked. He was betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. And then he was crucified. Isaiah 9 also speaks of this Galilee area. Isaiah 9, 1, 7 says, but there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Nephtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, 
Galilee of the nations. You can see Isaiah's prophecy. He's saying that Galilee of the nations. So just on the outskirts of Jerusalem, just north of Jerusalem, you have this area which is mostly Jewish, but also of different ethnicities. And you keep going beyond Galilee, then you get to the nations. This is what Isaiah is prophesying when he says Galilee of the nations. That his reign, the reign of the Messiah, will grow and grow and grow into other nations. Isaiah 9 continues in verse 2. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. I mean, you've made it bigger than Israel. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you shall have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of the peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forever. More the, lo- the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. And he did do this. Jesus is truth. He is on the throne. He reigns in glory. This will compel you. This will bolster your confidence as you seek to make disciples of all the nations. That God has given a promise to send Jesus and he delivered on that promise. He was despised, rejected. A Christian, you have this truth. Isn't that amazing? You read about this, you see it, and you believe it. When I came back from um, Israel with uh, David and, and uh, our other friends, um, I'm just trying to be discreet. Um, uh, I remember, uh, well, they weren't on this flight, but David and I were on the flight. I do not sleep on planes um, very well at all. Uh, but next to me were two, uh, a, a, a very devoted uh, uh, Jewish person, a young man who's probably in his lower 20s. And almost the whole flight, he had opened his, you know, what we call his our Old Testament, the, the, the Torah, or the Tanakh, um, and some other Jewish literature. But he was reading the whole time. And I just kept thinking, how does he not see it? How does he not see that Jesus fulfilled these prophecies. What blinders does he have in the eyes of his heart that he can't see that Jesus has come? What does he read when he reads Psalm 22? Or Isaiah 53? Or Genesis 3 where, where yes, the seed of the woman of Eve will crush the head of the serpent. But in the process, he will also be injured. And I thought, Lord, you know, here I am like looking at, you know, look at movies, you know, cocaine bear and whatever else is on there. Um, and this guy, uh, that is not an endorsement, by the way. Um, and this guy is just reading and reading and reading and something, there's a veil over his heart. And that veil for me was pulled back at the age of 16, having read much less than this young man and a multitude of others that were on the plane with us. Uh, friend, 
I don't know all the application there is in that illustration, but one is to give praise to God that I can see and behold Jesus for who he is. He is a prophesied king of David, the seed of Abraham, the seed born to the line of Eve that crushes a serpent's head. Uh, When all around looks grim, when you're proclaiming the gospel, when you read stories of Christian martyrs from the past and the present, when you proclaim the gospel to your neighbors and they scoff at you, when they think it's silly that you wake up on Sunday morning and come here, when they think it's silly that you give a portion of your income to this church and other unique Christian causes to make disciples, when the cost seems expensive, the truth that Jesus is a Messiah, the anointed King of God, will anchor your soul. When your affections are somewhere else, Knowing this truth anchors you. Trust this. Know the Old Testament. Know how Jesus fulfilled the prophecies given. You have this truth. You have something that so many others don't have, yet they need. You see Jesus as infinitely valuable. You see him as the treasure that he is while others can't see him that or they don't want to. Others might have prestige, honors, riches, happiness in this life, but you have the truth about Jesus being the king worthy of all worship. And you see that the disciples, when he rose from the dead, they come into, they're in Galilee. Jesus comes to meet them. What do they do? They fall down and worship. And then it says what? But some doubted. Uh, that's not meant for us to wag our fingers at all oh, those silly disciples. They are doubting again. Uh, friends, that's, that's meant to encourage us when we doubt too. I mean, how many of us can remember a handful of times where we've worshiped God just hearts wide open, just loving Jesus without a doubt in the world. So many other times we come in Sunday morning, we're singing these songs, we're fighting for faith. Why? Because we have a little bit of doubt in us. Not full doubt. We believe. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. That's the posture of the disciple maker. So often. We need to know that Jesus is truth. In a world that says truth is relative. And you can define your own truth. We need to know that Jesus is the Davidic king. That will reign forever and ever. All right, secondly, church, we need to know the power of Jesus. More specifically, the power of Jesus as the Son of Man. The power of Jesus as the Son of Man. To engage more confidently, more robustly, more boldly in making disciples, know the power of Jesus as the Son of Man. Look at verse 18. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. In Jesus' life so far, in the Gospel of Matthew, he has displayed his authority over a number of things. He's displayed his authority over creation when he's calmed the seas. He's displayed his authority over evil by casting out number of demons. He's displayed his authority over sickness by healing countless. He has authority in his teaching that kind of mesmerizes the crowd. Some recognize his authority and believe in him. Some recognize his authority and are threatened by his authority. 
He even says he has the authority to forgive sins. And he does. You just can't see that authority. And finally, the end of the Gospel of Matthew, the end of the life of Christ on earth, he has authority over death. And it's when he has authority over death that he is seemingly given a different kind of authority. So what's going on here? So, uh, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Well, wasn't Jesus always the son of God? There's something that happens after the resurrection where Jesus is given authority. So um, he says this in Matthew 11, all things have been handed over to me by my father and no one knows the son except the father and no one knows the father except the son and anyone to whom the son chooses to reveal. Uh, then the apostle Paul in Ephesians 1 19 says, God raised him, that is Jesus Christ, from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church. Uh, The Father gave this authority to Jesus, which is the church is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Uh, Friends, this is also what we see in Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. This somewhat famous passage where uh, someone like the Son of Man, like a Son of Man, comes up to the Ancient of Days. We sing about this. I think we sing that song in our church, the Ancient of Days. Uh, Chapter 7, verse 13 says, I saw in the night visions, this is a prophecy of Daniel, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a Son of Man, and he came to the Ancient of Days, and was presented before him, and to him was given, was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed, like so many other kingdoms of this earth, which are eventually destroyed. Uh, so, Here we see this grand statement, this indicative. All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. All authority. Not just a little bit of authority. Not just authority in the United States of America. But authority in Latin America. In Africa. In Israel. All authority is given to Jesus. And this is meant, brothers and sisters, to at least embolden us, encourage us because we all long to dwell under good and powerful authority, right? We, we lock our doors at night because we long to be safe. We have the power to turn the deadbolts or to get an alarm system. We long for this kind of safety and we want to be under good, under powerful authority so that we will not be taken down by a more powerful authority. But with every earthly authority, we can put all kinds of parameters up. We can have a large military budget. We can have the most expensive alarm system. But our power to protect, our power to keep safe is is finite. 
will eventually fail in some way or another by another kind of power. That's either more deceptive, more tricky, more sleek, or just like a bulldozer, more powerful. That, that Jesus wants us to know something before he sends his disciples out about his identity, about who he is. He wants them to know, yes, he is the lamb who has led to the slaughter in Isaiah 53. He is the one that is mocked, reviled, whose hands and feet are pierced from Psalm 22. He is the great shepherd who will be slaughtered by the ones he came to save. At the same time, he is fully the son of man, the king of kings, the lion of Judah, whose scepter shall never depart from between his feet. He is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. You see what Jesus is doing here? He's sending his disciples. He knows what will happen to them, right? He's already said that you must take up your cross and follow me. Well, friends, a cross is an instrument of death and of suffering. If you want to be my disciple, you will follow me. You will suffer. A servant is not greater than his master. And yet he tells them all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Our friends, we long for that good authority. And so when Jesus gives it to us, we say, yes, amen. But then we kind of stutter and be like, whoa, 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 whoa. Look around. Read the headlines in the news. Look at our own lives. It's like we need faith to believe Jesus is on the throne and the son of man. Because while it's happened already, it's not quite yet fully seen. We don't see it. There's still a great rebellion going on in this earth and sometimes even in our own hearts, but we long for it. This past week, President Joe Biden went to uh, Tel Aviv in, in Israel and he spoke to the Israel leadership and he said this, I come to Israel with a single message. You are not alone. You are not alone. As long as the United States stand and we will stand forever, we will not let you ever be alone. Now, his words were meant to show support, strength, and comfort in a time of uh, unspeakable distress and at war for the country. And while his words may have been a source of encouragement to a nation under duress, we all know that the United States, just like every great empire throughout the history of the world, will not stand forever. No empire ever has. The Babylonian Empire, the Roman Empire, the Ottoman Empire, the shrinking British Empire, the Han Dynasty, all empires, all governments eventually will fail in some way or be taken over by some greater power or they will destroy themselves from within. So President Biden's words fall flat for the Christian, don't they? We understand we want to protect you, but we will not stand forever, friend. No, we have a greater king, the ancient of days. Jesus, the son of man, he will stand forever. And the gates of hell will not overcome his church. Friends, we are citizens of the kingdom because we are in Christ. And he is a powerful king. And he empowers us to do his business, to be his ambassadors in this world to expand his kingdom. And that's why before he sends us out, before we talk to our neighbor, before we send people out overseas, we must know 
that Jesus is the King of kings and Lord of lords. He is the Son of Man from Daniel 7. Friends, when we know this, we pray with power and expectancy, trusting in our big sovereign God. Church, I wonder if you pray like that. Just casting your cares upon him because he is so powerful. Uh, just, just, just consider how you pray. Uh, let, let's talk about when, when someone's sick. I imagine a lot of our prayers are like that. Uh, do you feel like you need to caveat your prayer if this is your will, Lord? Uh, friend, if, if one of my kids is in the hospital, I am going to throw myself upon the feet of Jesus and say, Lord, heal my child. You have all the power. You can do it. I trust you no matter what, Lord, because you're so good and you're so powerful. Uh, Friends, in the same way, when it comes to praying for the nations, for this kingdom to expand, we pray, oh Lord, send laborers to the harvest. Save Pakistanis, Indians. Save Eritreans. Lord, you can do this through your gospel. Oh Lord, save my neighbor. Because you can. Lord, uh, church, let us be a church that calls upon the Son of Man to save sinners just like we were saved. This indicative here, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. This undergirds what Jesus says next in his instructions. Christopher Wright, who wrote uh, the mission of the church, he says this about the Great Commission, about this sentence right here. This is the reality behind the command, the indicative behind the imperative, the identity and the authority of Jesus of Nazareth, crucified and risen, is the cosmic indicative on which the mission imperative stands authorized. That's enough of the Great Commission for me. (laughs) Jesus has died. He has risen. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And he can save sinners. Let's go do that. But Jesus gives us more, doesn't he? Our third point is this. The instructions of Jesus in his commission. We must know the instructions of Jesus in his commission. Look at verse 19 and the first part of 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and then of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. I'm going to look at this. In, set, in uh, six parts. <clears throat> First, we have this command to, uh, seven parts, sorry. Nope, six. I guess I decided to erase number seven. We'll see what happens as I keep preaching. Stay tuned. Here we have this command to go, or some translate it, as you go. Um, there's been a lot of ink spilled about, is this a command to go, or is kind of as you go? I think the, the point is, 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 is pretty pointless. Like the assumption is you're going, whether it's command or not. The assumption is that disciples, they get up and they go. They think, they strategize, they pray about this. They, as they're going in life and as they cross seas to proclaim the good news and make disciples, they go. There's intentionality behind the verb. There, it takes thoughtfulness to, to go and to think about nations that are unreached. Um, uh, there's been, a, I think, a helpful understanding of the Great Commission that we're either all senders as Christians or we're all goers as Christians. But I think well, that, that's helpful for those of us that aren't crossing borders or have a ministry directly 
to people of a different um, uh, ethnicity. Um, we really all are all goers too. Like th- this is for everyone. So you're, you're either, I think that, that phrase, I think it is helpful, is meant to be like you're either going to go somewhere or you're going to support those who are going. But we're all involved in the Great Commission. That's what I'm trying to say here. Um, we all are involved in it. Uh, secondly, make disciples. Well, if Jesus is sovereign, how do we make disciples, right? How do we do that? Well, Paul makes this clear in um, second in, in, in first or second Corinthians that, that some plant, some water, but God is the one who does the growth. So our role in the Great Commission is to uh, sow abundantly the seeds of the gospel that we might see and we might behold that people are coming to faith. And if you're here and you're not yet a Christian, um, I would be uh, admit, I, I would miss out on a great opportunity to share the gospel with you. The gospel is what I've been kind of explained the whole time, is that there were prophecies given in the Old Testament to redeem man from sin and from death and from the grips of evil. And the prophecies were fulfilled in Jesus Christ. He is the son of God, the son of man who came and lived a perfect life. He never sinned. Though tempted, he never gave in to temptation. And he was died. He, cruci- he, he, he was crucified on the cross and he rose three days later. And all who trust in him for salvation will be saved from the wrath of God. That is the gospel. And so the invitation for you, if you're not yet a Christian, is to come. Worship like his disciples did. Place your whole life upon Jesus. Don't try to earn favor with him because you can't. Friends, that's what we want to do week in, week out with our neighbors, with our family members, with our coworkers. And so we want to pray for missionaries in this church that God might make disciples. And that's what it means. We can't force anyone, can't coerce anyone to be a Christian. Only the spirit can bring dead people to life but we can sow abundantly, plant and water and pray. Plant, water, pray. That is our pattern in the Great Commission work. Thirdly, we see, he says, all nations here. We see all nations. As mentioned earlier, we have uh, Jesus is meeting them in Galilee. They do go back to Jerusalem for a time, but then they are scattered. And we particularly see this in Acts chapter 8. How they're scattered. And they, in the book of Acts, they're, they're going to all the nations. That is the ambition of Paul who says he must get to Spain and friends, that's what we see in Revelation. Uh, Revelation is, is meant to uh, not to uh, merely understand uh, when Jesus is coming back, how he's coming back. Uh, it's mostly meant to give us encouragement to keep carrying on and to understand that what God has promised, he will fulfill. So while we've seen a lot of prophecies of God fulfilled, we haven't seen them all, particularly that there are witnesses from every tongue, tribe, and nation worshiping him. So Revelation 5, uh, there's a song of these 24 elders, and it says this, worthy are you, this is singing to the lamb, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on earth. Uh, Then I looked and I heard around the throne of the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth 
and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them, saying to him who sits in the throne and to the lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. The four living creatures said, amen, and the elders fell down and they worshiped. This is meant church to be an all nations mandate, all ethnicities. Fourth, we see baptizing. So notice here that baptizing comes after making disciples, not before it. Uh, So there is this assumption here, and I think in the rest of scripture, that you must believe first and then you are baptized. Um, That is the order in belief. And then comes this, that is the order. You believe and then this public profession through baptism. Uh, Fifthly, we see that this, the triune God is essential to being a disciple. Uh, You must understand that the Holy Spirit is God, that Jesus is God, and the Father is God. They are one in three and three in one. Sixthly, that disciple-making task is not done once someone is baptized, but it continues through teaching all of Scripture, all that Jesus has commanded. Uh, So, friends, in many ways, what we're doing now is we're fulfilling the Great Commission Uh, because I'm attempting to teach you All that's been commanded by Jesus so that you may observe what he's taught more faithfully. We are Gentiles in this church, most of us, and we've learned how to observe what Christ has taught. And we keep doing that. Uh, So friends, the Great Commission isn't merely for those who just go to a remote part of the earth or who focused on an unreached people group. Uh, In many ways, the Great Commission is being fulfilled now in your hearing. By the grace of God. Uh, Friends, there is another part. I almost made this a separate part that we see in this. The whole reason for this going is because Jesus has compassion on those who are lost and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And friends, so should we be when it comes to those who do not yet know him. I would say especially those who have little to no access to the gospel. Those who hear the call to worship a false God five times a day and have never met someone that knows the true God. Much like Jesus came into the world to save sinners, friends, we go into other parts of the world to save sinners, to make disciples, so they might be saved from the just wrath of God and brought into a relationship with Christ. Friends, this is the mission of the church. Now I want to show you, um, if you have your bulletin with you, we have a little card in there. Let me go ahead and pull it out for a second. Now what we've done here is we've, we've differentiated between mercy ministries and other ministries. Now the reason you did this is not to put one against the other, but it's actually to help us fulfill the Great Commission and the unique mandate that Christians have in fulfilling the Great Commission and separate other things that are very much Christian things to do. Uh, Christians um, are the ones who have started many hospitals around the world. They're Christians generally, uh, they adopt at a higher rate than uh, than other faiths or people who don't have a faith. Uh, Christians give more than other people. So there are things that are uniquely Christian and, and I'm putting that under the category of mercy ministry. So here we have health for her and refugee hope partners. I think separating those from a specific great commission thing to something that even non-Christians can help at RHP and 
Even non-Christians can help with health for her. I think that will only help us more faithfully engage those ministries, uh, but also I think it helps differentiate between something that is uniquely Christian, which is Matthew 28, 16 to 20, fulfilling the Great Commission. So here we have, uh, this, will, this is something I hope that you put in your Bibles and you use uh, in your regular uh, prayer time. Uh, we support Nine Marks Ministries. I almost put that in a different category, but I didn't want like five categories. So um, they're, they're for establishing healthy churches. And if you read Matthew 16 and 18, and you read the book of Acts, that's what they're doing when they're making disciples. They're not just having disciples just wander off like, like scattered bugs to the earth. They're, they're, they're consolidating into, I don't know why I said scattered bugs. Um, they're consolidating into local churches that they may be a light to the nations. Uh, we have Westwood Baptist Church. Uh, our brother Nick Lingle is doing a good work there. We have Erbil Baptist Church in northern Iraq. We have good churches, which predominantly is establishing and fulfilling the Great Commission in South Asia and in parts of India. Hearts and Hands for Haiti, obviously in Haiti. Uh, Jordan Evangelical Theological Seminary, which takes um, mostly Arabic speakers from that area of the world, brings them in for a year or two, and then, or maybe longer, and sends them back out to uh, their home countries. Um, great work, and Dr. Ahmad Shahada will uh, hopefully be here, and we're going to try to see if we can do some things with him when he comes uh, in a couple weeks. Uh, we have the International Mission Board, which is a Southern Baptist uh, arm of missions. And then we have uh, Z International, which is, again, it's hard to champion something that you can't like say exactly what it is, uh, but it, it's a good cause that is trying to reach uh, a people group that is um, in darkness in East Asia. And I wish I could tell you more about it from this podium, but if you have more questions, come find me later. And then we have these potential partners. You've heard of 20 Schemes in Scotland, My One Mission, which is in Newfoundland and Labrador, and then Turkey. Our, our sister Annie uh, Rundle is currently in Turkey serving right now. So, uh, church, this is what we're doing. This is what we want to pray for. And so we want to pray that God would help us to do more, to think better about and to fulfill more faithfully. All right, lastly, church, is we, uh, Jesus ends... Before he ascends, Matthew ends the gospel with this promise right here. The love of Jesus in his promise. Look at verse 20b. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Oh, why does the book end here? Because it's the love of Jesus revealed in his presence with us. It's his love that sustains us when disciple making is hard and costly. Uh, Jesus did say to take up your cross and follow him. He did say a servant is not greater than his master. If they, he said if they malign the Christ, what would they do to his followers? However, uh, he doesn't want us just to grind our way through it. He wants us to understand his presence with us and particularly his love for us. Friends, Jesus is not watching from afar. He's with us. He never leaves us. And Ephesians makes this clear when he seals us with the promised Holy Spirit. The Godhead is in each one of us. So when we go out, we know that we're more valuable than sparrows who are sold for a penny and, and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father, but even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are more valuable than many sparrows. Well, friends, do you cultivate this relationship with the Lord in personal devotion, in time alone, praying, reading scripture, meditating on scripture? 
Disciple making disciples experience the supernatural presence of Christ. They taste and see that the Lord is good. For there it is that your secret sins are exposed and the glorious light of his presence is revealed. Oh, church, cultivate this relationship with Jesus. Spend time with him that when the going gets tough, you know it's worth it. Friends, I, I remember, I can't remember if I shared it in this church before, but only two times when we were living overseas in uh, Central Asia did I have a little bit of fear for being a Christian. And I remember it was, uh, I was using, I was, it was, um, which story on that? I was with, an, with a friend in a barber shop, and we're talking, and some guys I never met came in, and I was trying to use uh, the, the Christmas season as an avenue to share the gospel. And I just, I, pretty quickly, I was met with some antagonism. And it kept growing and growing and growing, and I knew I had to walk back by myself to my apartment. And then, you know, my thoughts kind of lingered, like, what would happen? I'm all alone in these dark streets. No one else is out here. It's late at night. And the presence of Jesus, as if he was holding my hand was there. And I don't know why I don't feel like that all the time. I just know that I have felt like that in some of the darkest moments of my life. When I'm scared of being harmed for the sake of Christ, when I felt like I've been faithful to Christ, his presence is there. When I'm going through difficult trials, I feel his presence. And I think that's why Jesus says, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. You must know this if you are to carry on with this mission, that he is with you. And so, Lord Jesus, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Living for Christ is costly. But living for Christ is possible if we know he loves us and he will never leave us nor forsake us, even if living for him ends in death. So as we conclude here, just consider the immediate audience in this text, the 11 disciples, just consider what happened to them in their lives. Peter was executed by Rome through crucifixion after being tortured in prison. He famously requested to be executed or crucified upside down so he wouldn't be crucified in a like manner to Jesus. Andrew, the apostle, was also crucified in an X-shaped cross but was not nailed to it. He he was tied to it and died after hanging for three days. James, the son of Zebedee, was first martyred, was the first martyred apostle killed during Jewish persecution led by Herod Antipas. John is the only apostle without a record of violent death, but we know that he was sent off to the Isle of Patmos. Philip was a missionary to distant lands before he was brutally stoned almost to death before later being crucified. Bartholomew was also a missionary and was killed by severe whipping, followed by crucifixion. Matthew was a missionary and was beheaded by pagan priests who opposed him. Thomas became a missionary in India and was martyred, being killed with a spear. James, son of Alphaeus, was a missionary to Syria before being brought back to Jerusalem and tried as a heretic by Jewish leaders. He was cast down the temple steps, breaking his legs. He was then killed by stoning. Simon was a missionary to North Africa, Britain, and Spain, and was martyred by being sawn in two. Judas, not Judas Iscariot, Judas Thaddeus, martyred by being shot with arrows in the year 70 AD. And we don't really know what happened to Matthias, the replacement of Judas Iscariot, but we do know also that Paul, the apostle, was beheaded in Rome by the Roman emperor Nero, or at least under 
his care. And yet the promise remains, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Friends, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us, who shall separate us from the love of God in Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, as it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, for these 11 disciples and the apostle Paul, their martyrdom, brought them into the presence of Jesus and to a fuller view of his love. Nothing can separate us from him. Friends, if we want to more faithfully, more confidently make disciples, if we want to be disciple-making church, we must know that Jesus is truth. He is powerful. He gives us instructions on what to do, and he loves us forever. Let's pray. Oh Lord, these things are bigger than us and yet you invite us to be a part of it. You will make disciples of all nations. There will be a multitude of ethnicities worshiping around your throne and we will be there too one day. Oh Father, help us to be more faithful in fulfilling this commission. Help us to understand that you are true, Jesus, in a world that says truth is relative, in a world where others say that they have truth. Lord, give us confidence in your truth. Help us to see your power, your sovereignty. Help us to adhere to your commandments and your instructions and help us to know through all this that you love us always and you're with us to the end of the age. For your glory, we pray, we sing, we sit under this preaching. In Jesus Christ's name, amen.